everyone joining us at one of our physical locations, if we can see your face, that's awesome. It's so wonderful to see so many beautiful faces. And to everybody joining us online, just thankful to God for technology that allows us still to gather as the body of Christ. The gospel will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so just so pumped to be in the house today. And as pastor said, my name's Beth, and uh, my husband and I have been on staff for 10 years this year. It's hard to believe. A lot's happened in a decade, and yet it's flown by. And it's just been the honor of our lives to serve in this house of God under Pastor Daniel and Pastor Tammy's leadership. Can we honor them, church? Can we give it up for our pastors? Pastor Daniel and Pastor Tammy, we love you. We are so grateful for you, for your life, your love, your leadership, your sacrifices. Thank you for your yes. Thank you for your yes when it's hard. Thank you for your yes when it's rewarding. You have changed not just the lives in this body, but lives literally around the world. And very personally, my own life, the life of my husband and my family, we're just so, so very grateful for you. And a very special shout out to Pastor Daniel today because it's his birthday, people. birthday pastor we hope you eat not just a piece of cake today we hope you eat the whole cake today eat the whole cake you deserve it so why don't we pray together before we jump into the word God we love you thank you for the power of your spirit thank you for meeting with us this morning thank you for your word God that does not return void your word that separates bone from marrow God do surgery on our hearts today Reveal to us what needs to be revealed, God, that you can transform us from the inside out. And may we leave today, God, more equipped, more ready, more able, more willing to live out the call you have placed on our life for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and have a seat. So we are in this series called Summer Revival, and if you've missed a single week, you've got to go back and get that content. It's been an incredibly helpful series. And what we've been looking at is what God is reviving in the middle of the difficulties that we are facing. And man, this season has been layered with difficulty. What is up 2020? It's been unique to all of us, but universal at the same time, some of the struggles that we face, but God is absolutely working. He is working. And how many of you know that for God to revive something in the middle of difficulty, something's got to die? For God to revive something in us, something has to die. And I want to bring you a message this morning called, let it die. Let it die. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he's completely fascinating. If you study the Gospels, you'll find Jesus is fascinating theologically. He's fascinating philosophically. Even if you don't believe he's the son of God, he's a fascinating character study. Jesus is fascinating in leadership because he never says or does what you think Jesus is going to say or do. He's always taking our assumptions and turning them inside out and flipping our perceptions on their head. Jesus says crazy things. Jesus says things like, if you wanna be the greatest, then you've gotta become the servant of everybody. That's pretty counterintuitive to the world that we're born into in this Western individualized society where we think if we wanna reach the top, we've gotta to throw everybody under the bus and climb all over each other to get there. Bigger, better, faster, stronger, right? And Jesus is like, no, no. 
You've got to be better, faster, stronger at serving the people at the bottom. Jesus says things like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So what are you saying, Jesus? When all this shakes out, you're just going to reverse the order anyway? Yeah. Yeah, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus says if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. What does that mean, Jesus? If we want to save our lives, we've got to lose it. And I want to read to you from Matthew. This is the message version. John 12, sorry, John 12, 25 from the message. Jesus says, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Jesus is letting us in on the secret. And I want to talk to you today about losing our lives so that we can find them, about dying to ourselves, dying to the things that are alive inside of us that are not like God, those things that are there because of our sin and our pain and coming alive to the spirit of God at work in and through us. There's a whole lot of things alive inside of me that are not like God that have to go. And there's a whole lot of things alive inside of you that are not like God that got to go. And most of it's being shared on Facebook right now. And I feel the same way getting on Facebook as I do getting in my car, getting stuck in a traffic jam on 95, and I want to say the same words and use the same hand gestures, which is why I avoid both for the sake of Jesus. But we are, we are in a spiritual war. That is facts. And the enemy of your soul who is the devil and the God of the universe who loves you both want to lay claim to your life. And every decision that you make, you give power to one side or the other. There is no neutral ground. You're either choosing yourself, the flesh, the sin nature, my wants, my needs, my rights, my life, me, 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 or we're choosing the spirit of God. And when we choose the spirit of God, we kill the self. Now, this is a very difficult thing to do. It requires the power of God in us to do it. But this is where real life begins, the life that God intended for us and the life that Jesus modeled for us. Just before Jesus began his earthly ministry, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, while he was there, he fasted for 40 days and was confronted by the devil. The devil wanted to capitalize on the pain that Jesus was experiencing in his body to lead him into temptation. Now, the scripture tells us that God himself does not tempt. So why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into a place where he would be tempted? Well, there's this very interesting thing about this Greek word tempted. It's the same word as tested. So the temptation and the testing are the same event. And the enemy wants to use your sin, your pain, and your weakness to tempt you into gratifying the self. And God wants to use your sin, your pain, and your weakness to test you, to prove you by dying to the self. And whatever we choose with our lives, there is a lot at stake. Jesus says that true life is at stake. And I wanna look together at the life of a man named Joseph today, found in the book of Genesis. And his story is pretty long. We're gonna just touch on some of the high points, but it begins with God giving Joseph a dream. And it ends with God fulfilling that dream. 
But there's a lot that happens getting from point A to point B. 15 years, actually, of struggle and pain, and Joseph learning to die to himself so that the life of God could be made known through him. So let that encourage you today. The dream will come to pass, but it is a process. So Joseph was the youngest of 11 brothers, and he was his father's favorite kid. Now, for all the parents in the room who have a favorite kid, you usually probably talk about that covertly, right? When your other kids aren't around, like, that's my favorite, that one, that one right there. Not Joseph's dad. Joseph's dad was proud of his pride. He even made Joseph a very fancy coat that Joseph paraded around his brothers. And the scripture says that Joseph's brothers were so jealous of him that they hated him. So not only was Joseph the favorite with a fancy coat, Joseph also had this special gift from God where God spoke to him in dreams and he was able to interpret dreams. So he has these dreams and he gathers his brothers and his father around and he says, look guys, my dreams indicate that one day, all y'all, you're gonna bow down to me. You can imagine how that landed. Not so great. Chapter 39, verse 19, this is his brothers talking. They say, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. You know, God, the devil's not just after you. He's after the seed that God has planted inside of you. The enemy's after your potential. So Joseph's brothers, they threw him in this pit and they decided that, you know what? We're not gonna kill this guy. It's more financially lucrative if we sell him into slavery. So they made a little bit of cash selling their brother into slavery. Can you imagine thrown into a pit by your own brothers and sold? We're gonna call that pit the pit of rejection. The pit of rejection. And that's not a fun place to be, is it? I can't imagine what Joseph was experiencing in that place, having been betrayed by his own flesh and blood to that level. But in some shape or form, every single one of us has been inside of that pit. And it's isolating, and it's painful, and it's scary when the people that you love are not for you. Maybe some of you remember, like me, the first time that you were turned down by a boy or girl that you had a crush on. It's happened to me a lot in life, and uh, I was in love with the same boy from kindergarten through fourth grade. His name was Derek. Hey, Derek. And um, he was in love with my best friend, Jennifer. And every time we played this game in class, a game called 7-Up, y'all don't know nothing about this game, he'd pick her, he'd push her thumb down. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, he never picked me. And you know what? I'm okay now. I'm okay now. I've moved on. I love you, babe. I'm okay now. But as small as some of it is, rejection is very difficult to forget, let alone those more tragic examples of like he walked out on you, or she was unfaithful, or maybe you've been judged or excluded because of the color of your skin or your gender. And I can't think of a single moment when we experience pain that we're not tempted to react out of our flesh, out of our sin nature. Maybe you've heard the saying that hurt people hurt people. You wanna know what tends to rise up inside of us in the face of rejection? It's usually one of two things, two sides of the same coin, really. Pride or insecurity. 
And when we choose pride, we puff ourselves up over the wound that we've experienced, right? As a defense mechanism, we make ourselves bigger than everybody else to avoid the wound. Or we choose insecurity, where we think too little of ourselves. And we get stuck in a victim mindset. And when we choose these things, we act out of these things. And that has ramifications on our life, on our relationships, and what God wants to do through us. I was listening to a trauma therapist on a podcast recently, and she was talking about the difference between clean pain and dirty pain. Clean pain, she described as the pain caused by an event or an incident, such as my brothers threw me in a pit and tried to sell me into slavery. Ouch, right? Or maybe my best friend stabbed me in the back and she betrayed me and that really hurt. Dirty pain is the pain that we cause ourselves by the way that we think about that pain. That negative, toxic, internal dialogue running around in our head. So if we choose insecurity, my best friend stabbed me in the back becomes, I'm stupid for trusting her, right? I can't trust anybody. Maybe nobody's gonna love me the way that I love them. Or if we choose pride, that dirty pain becomes, well, you know what, I was always too good for her and she's nothing to me. And I don't need anybody anyway. And pride and insecurity are born through the lies that we choose to believe about our pain. And the flesh wants us to put up walls between us and people when God wants us to put up walls between us and lies between us and lies, because pride and insecurity are self-protective. And when we choose to believe lies about our pain, we become overly self-protective. We begin seeing through the lens of pride and insecurity and projecting that onto other people. And we begin to see and assume things that are not actually there, and it hurts our ability to love and be loved because love is not self-protective. Love is self-sacrificing. Love will cause you pain. Love put Jesus on a cross. Love will cost you something. Love hurts. Love hurts. There's a song about that. Love hurts. And there's this very beautiful but painful Example of this in the scriptures and this exchange between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus is at one of his lowest moments. He's just been arrested. He's being beaten. He's on his way to crucifixion. And one of his closest disciples, one of his best friends, Peter, denies even knowing Jesus three times. So not only did Jesus hear him do it, Jesus predicted he would do it. And Peter assured him that he wouldn't. And so in this moment, Jesus and Peter lock eyes. And you know what the flesh would have done? You're probably thinking it right now because I'm thinking it. The flesh would have said, you know what? Forget you, bro. You're dead to me. You know what Jesus did? After his resurrection, he went and he found Peter. He pursued Peter. He went after Peter. He restored Peter. And what was dead in Peter came back to life. On Peter, Jesus built the church. And Jesus models this for us over and over and over with his life, what it looks like to die to the self so that others can live. And how many of us are avoiding simple, just difficult conversations because of insecurity and pride, and we're avoiding the very thing that's going to bring healing to us and other people. If we want to die, if we want to die 
to the fruit of rejection in our life, if we want to die to the flesh in the face of insecurity and pride, we have got to die to the lies that the enemy has sold us and we have got to take hold of the truth of what God says about us. I am a child of God. I am a friend of Jesus. I am forgiven. I am justified. I am the head and not the tail. If God is for me, then who can be against me? God has plans to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. I do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you every single second in that pit and every single minute that Joseph worked as a slave, he clung to the truth of God about him. He clung to the dream that God spoke over his life. He clung to the promises of God. And in doing so, he was able to kill pride and insecurity. The scripture tells us that Joseph excelled as a slave because the hand of God was on him. And he was sold to an Egyptian official named Potiphar who saw that the hand, was God, hand of God was on him, so he put him in charge of all of his affairs. Then this really awkward Jerry Springer thing happens where Potiphar's wife has her eyes on Joseph, has a little thing for Joseph, wants to begin a relationship with Joseph, and he repeatedly refuses her. Well, this makes her so angry, she does him real dirty, and she tells her husband, Potiphar, that Joseph attempted to abuse her. So Potiphar's response in chapter 39, verse 19 says, when Joseph's master Potiphar heard the story that his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Not only did Joseph not commit the crime that he was punished for, Joseph refused to admit the crime that he was punished for. We're gonna call that the prison of injustice. The prison of injustice. Maybe you've been falsely accused of something that you have not done. Maybe you've taken the flack for somebody else. Maybe you were the oldest sibling and your mom had a golden brother or sister who got away with murder and you took the flack for everything that they did. Maybe you have to live with the very, very painful reality that somebody who hurt you, stole something from you, violated you, got away with it. God hates injustice. God hates injustice. It causes him to burn with righteous anger. Isaiah 61.8 says this, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Injustice should cause us to burn with righteous anger. When we see evil being committed, when we see people being mistreated and abused, that should cause us to feel angry. Systemic racial injustice should cause us to feel angry. Watching evil prevail in the world, that should cause us to feel angry. It's a holy emotion. It's not something we're supposed to pray away. It's something we're supposed to keep holy before God, but it's something we're supposed to activate to bring about justice. Isaiah says this in 117, says, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. In the face of injustice, God wants us to pursue justice because justice is rooted in redemption, in restoration, in making a wrong thing right. But here's the bait. 
In the face of injustice, our flesh wants us to pursue revenge, making wrong more wrong. Revenge wants an eye for an eye, and a hand, and an arm, and a leg, and the house, and the car, and the boat, and the cat, and the dog, and the kids, and all the money. Every single one of us has wanted to take matters into our own hands in one form or another. Every single one of us has wanted to take to social media and out the X for cheating. Or rage quit your job, light a match, throw it over your shoulder. But studies have actually shown that while the short-term effects of revenge are psychologically rewarding, the long-term effects actually cause more damage by prolonging the pain of the original offense and you get stuck in a cycle of retaliation. And so Jesus has a method for us of how to respond to injustices committed against us that leads to life. This is a difficult teaching. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 38 through 39, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I want to be very clear. Jesus is not talking about abusive relationships or relationships where physical boundaries are necessary. Jesus is talking about the heart. Jesus is talking about the heart. And if you're thinking to yourself like me, Jesus, that turning the other cheek thing, I can't do that. I've tried that twice. I've run out of cheeks. You're right. You can't do that, but Jesus in you can do that. He is not teaching you to become passive. He is not teaching you to minimize the injustices committed against you. He's teaching us to become otherworldly in our love, a love that is not like the rest of the world, a love that defines us and sets us apart. I was watching... America's Got Talent with my six-year-old daughter a few weeks ago. If you're not familiar with the show, it's this glorified talent show, and all these people audition. I got one fan right here. And they whittle it down to one winner at the end. And um, this man came out to sing, he said. And then he began to share his story, which literally made me weep. His name is Archie Williams. And he said that he had just been released from prison under a wrongful conviction and had spent 37 years there. 37 years. That's longer than my life. And an organization named the Innocence Project proved his innocence and he was just released. And he said that he used to watch America's Got Talent from his prison cell and imagine himself on that stage, the stage that he now stood on. And he said how he kept peace, how he kept his peace was through prayer and through singing. And it showed pictures of him leading other prisoners in worship, and he said the most profound thing. He said, freedom is of the mind. He said, I may have been in prison, but I never allowed prison to get in here. And after he sang, the crowd went wild for Archie. They went wild for Archie. His story is literally changing lives. I guarantee you that there's gonna be prisoners because of the traction this has gained who have been wrongfully convicted that are going to be released. Archie said freedom is of the mind. Jesus wasn't teaching us to turn the other cheek to resist justice. 
Jesus was teaching us to turn the other cheek, to keep the heart from bitterness, to maintain our ability to love with a love like Jesus who said in the act of crucifixion, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was the ultimate recipient of injustice when he took our sin upon himself. So not only do we have this radical love modeled for us in Jesus that is our freedom, but we can also have the confidence that a God who hates injustice will see that justice is brought. And so I wanna to read to you from Isaiah 54, 17. These are God's words to you. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me. Your vindication is from God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But we have got to die to our desire to take matters into our own hands so that an act of injustice committed against us does not become a prison inside of us. And as we repay evil for evil, begin serving our enemy rather than the God of redemption who wishes that none should perish. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. So because of this love extended to us, we die to revenge and we pursue redemption. Scholars don't know how long Joseph was in prison for, but they say it could have been up to 13 years. 13 years Joseph had to contemplate the injustices committed against him and learn to die to himself. Joseph excelled in the prison again because God's hand was on him and the prison guard recognized it and so put Joseph over the other prisoners. Well, one day, two of Pharaoh's chief officials are thrown into jail, a cupbearer and a baker. And on the same night, they both have a dream that requires interpreting. So Joseph's their guy. Joseph steps up, interprets the dreams that happened just as he said it would. The baker was executed, and the chief cupbearer was restored to his original position. But Joseph said to the cupbearer before he went, he said, in chapter 40, verse 14 through 15, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve to be put in a dungeon. Help me. But it was two more years before that cupbearer remembered Joseph. Two years. We're gonna call that the pain of neglect. The pain of neglect. When we're forgotten, when we're overlooked, when we're neglected, we tend to either stop trying or start striving. And when we stop trying, we're no longer a real threat to the enemy, right? We just kind of bow out of the game. I'll take a bench, coach. I'll take my marbles and go elsewhere. They took advantage of me. I don't like that feeling. I'm gonna make sure that doesn't happen again or we start striving. We're gonna make sure that we're seen. We're gonna draw attention to ourselves. Maybe we're gonna start manipulating people in conversations and situations so that we can rise to the top at the expense of others. Now, if this had been Joseph's heart, he probably would have began a relationship with Potiphar's wife because as a slave, that could have had its advantages. But in the face 
of neglect, in the pain of neglect, we have got to choose to die to selfish ambition and pick up a towel and like Jesus, serve. Jesus said the son of man came to serve, not to be served. Joseph could have said, well, you know what? They took advantage of my gifts. I mean, I shared it, it got me thrown into a pit. I used it to help somebody and I was forgotten. I'm gonna keep my gift to myself. I'm gonna protect me and mine. But Joseph understood that his gift was from God and that his gift was for God, which is why Joseph continued to serve as a slave. He continued to serve in Potiphar's house. He continued to serve in the prison. He continued to serve Pharaoh's officials because Joseph understood that ultimately he was serving God. I heard it said one time that Jesus did not fulfill his potential in the earth. God did not fulfill his potential in human form in the earth. Jesus fulfilled his purpose. We're not here to fulfill an earthly potential. We're here to fulfill a heavenly purpose which comes through serving, which comes through serving. Joseph was remembered two years later by the cupbearer because Pharaoh had a dream that needed interpreting. So Joseph was brought before Pharaoh and he says, all right, this is what's gonna happen. Seven years, you're gonna have plenty. Produce, product, you're gonna have plenty, land overflowing. And then the seven years after that, it's gonna be serious famine. And if you don't stock up now, everybody's gonna die. So Pharaoh recognized that Joseph not only could interpret the dream, but had a strategy for the dream. So he gave this Hebrew prisoner a throne in Egypt. And Joseph led the entire nation through a severe famine that would have otherwise wiped them all out. And guess who came rolling up onto the scene 15 years later? Looking for food. Joseph's brothers fell at his feet, begging, bowing down to him, just as he had predicted. 15 years later, 15 years of rejection, injustice, pain, that doesn't sound like the road to success. That doesn't sound like what you put on a resume. But Joseph needed the pit and the prison and the pain for some things to die in him so that the life of God could be made known through him. This is what Joseph says to his brothers in chapter 50. At the very end of Genesis, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If Joseph hadn't learned to die to himself, he would have used the throne for himself. He would have rejected his brothers. He would have taken revenge. He would have pursued personal gain. Joseph had to learn that the dream that God gave him, the throne was not the opportunity. The throne was the outcome. The pit was the opportunity. The prison was the opportunity. The pain was the opportunity for Joseph to develop a character that could sustain his calling, the saving of many lives. Joseph had to learn that the dream wasn't about him. It was never about him. It always has been and always will be about Jesus. Joseph and his brothers are the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation through whom Jesus came. And God has created you 
on purpose, for a purpose, with purpose. And he has placed a dream inside each one of us. A dream inside each one of us. And maybe you've started to waken to that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe some of you have pursued your dream, but because of the obstacles you faced, you feel like the dream is dead. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe it's time to begin seeing the obstacle as the opportunity. Maybe you can begin asking yourself in this moment, God, I don't like this pit. I don't like this place that I'm in. It's isolating down here. I'm insecure. But God, what in me needs to die while I'm here? What in me needs to die so that a confidence in you can be born? God, the injustice committed against me. I know it's not your heart for me, God. This hurts. I can't believe they got away with murder and I am angry. But while I'm here, God, while I'm here, what in me needs to die so that a heart of redemption can be born in me? God, this neglect, this hurts. I've been overlooked and I've been overlooked and I've been overlooked and I've been overlooked and do you even see me? But God, while I'm here, what in me needs to die so that a spirit of servanthood can be born in me? Jesus experienced rejection, injustice, pain. Why would Jesus come off a throne in heaven and enter this mess? For the same reason that God put a dream in Joseph's heart and elevated him to a throne, to save, to save. It's the same reason he put a dream in your heart, to save. Don't underestimate what God would do through you in this present famine, in this world, in this nation, in our communities, in your neighborhood, what God would do through you if you would allow the thing to die in you that God is trying to get you to release. And for those of you who are in this building this morning or one of our other campuses or under the sound of my voice online and your heart is stirring a little bit this morning, but maybe you don't quite know what I'm talking about, dying to yourself and Jesus, and maybe you don't have a relationship with God. I wanna give you the opportunity to begin that relationship right now. And it is the best decision that you're ever gonna make is to begin a relationship with the one who made you, who loves you, the most satisfying, deepest relationship you will ever have that leads to true everlasting life. And it's super simple. It's super simple. The Bible tells us that all of us need a savior because all of us have sin in our lives, things that are not like God. And that savior has a name. His name is Jesus and God became flesh, died on a cross, rose again three days later for our sins, for us. And the Bible tells us that all we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that he is who he says he is, and we will be saved. And so I wanna invite you to do that right now in this moment. I would ask everybody to bow your head and to close your eyes with me. And if that's you, we're gonna pray a prayer together and it is not the prayer that saves you. It is faith alone and Jesus alone that saves you. But let this serve as a confession, a moment in the sand. And if you 
would pray this prayer out loud for the sake of those praying it for the first time, everybody in the room say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, the son of God who died for me so that I could live. Forgive me, come into my life, change me. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, can we give it up for those people who made the best decision of your life? If you found today's message helpful, feel free to rate, review, or even share it with a friend. Also want to encourage you to think about partnering with us, you know, together through your giving, we can take this message around the world and make a difference in the lives of so many people. Thanks again for joining us today. If you would like to partner with us, you can do so by clicking the link in the description, visiting lifepoint.org/give, or via text messaging on your mobile device. Just text the dollar amount of your gift and keyword lifepoint to 45777. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart.